What you don't want is three months of amazing growth that you can't replicate. What you want is a consistent path that you can show is you, I can sell this to you. I can leave and the infrastructure exists. If your entire business is predicated on getting lucky and taking lottery picks, you might be wildly successful, but if you can't sustain that success, it's completely meaningless to anybody other than you. And your exit strategy is basically you give up after you end up working too hard and investing more and more resources chasing the next win. Welcome back for another episode of You're Not Your Roaz. I'm joined with one of my faves. Me and him go way back. We actually had a podcast together. He, I was That's actually true. under his tutelage at one point. We we helped launch his Facebook together. He's he's the possibly the most black man on DTC, and he's trying to change that, people. And here's here's the PR tour starting here. I caught him right before Europe. Chuck T, how are you, my man? I'm doing fantastic, man. And I do appreciate that. And it's, it's, yeah, for those that don't know, you and I met on the Facebook groups of gurus and, 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 and nonsense folk many, many years ago. And you inspired me after I got kicked out of everywhere and had to do my own thing to actually do my own thing. And then literally all of this is your fault, Rava. So I just want to make sure that everybody understands that. And I'm very appreciative of it. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, what this is four or five years later look at where we're at man it's a beautiful beautiful thing and um i wanted to save this for you at this moment and i was gonna say something it's like my friends you have a beautiful thirst there i hope somebody doesn't murder I am not in my office, and I, I, I'm liquid death one down. We'll, we'll call it Charlie one, Rob is zero right now. Oh, man, you're taking the lead going into the rapid fire. Oh, wow. I should have known you, you, you optimizer. Um, well, let's get into it first. So let's do it, I am man. actually in Columbus right now, uh, not in my Austin hub, uh, snowed in here. Where does this podcast find you, Charlie? Uh, I'm on my back porch in Los Angeles, California, so uh, – uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the sunlight. It's a little chilly, so I started a fire in the fireplace. And uh, it's a beautiful day. Hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm above ground in the promised land. I can't hate that. I love it. How long have you been Cali your whole life? Or you were in Florida for a bit too, right? Yeah, I, I grew up a uh, military brat. Uh, graduated high school magna cum laude with a 2.73 because I was the only senior in my graduating class because I got expelled four times. <laughs> And uh, went to school in Florida to be a recording uh, so engineer. And uh, got into, I was a touring musician, ran a recording studio and got into radio. But then this like awful sex tape with Hulk Hogan ended my radio career. And uh, so I moved out to California, got a job doing $10 an hour, you know, data entry at an illegitimate uh, ad agency running fake views for Disney stars on their brand new videos. And uh Within about two years, I was a supervisor at Omnicom, spending a million dollars a day or so, a couple of years before the Pixel. And, you know, here's here I'm at now, you know, a couple hundred million in and over a billion in revenue driven, just trying to help people see the light, man. Just trying to help save some children and make dreams possible. Yeah, I love it. You know, the, the unicorn babies. Um that's incredible. So how did you get into marketing? So you went in from this data entry position and then you got into this this Disney pump factory or like how, how did you yeah, get yeah. into that? So while I was touring uh, as a punk musician, I was able to figure out how to come home with money. And so I, got, I was very entrepreneurial from a very young age. I was actually before that, even in Little League, I was the number one salesperson for candy bars every single year. So I got a free Huffy bike on an annual basis, right? I got the $150 Toys R Us gift certificate. And I crushed everybody all the time. I was like eight. And I was just destroying people door to door. Nobody could compete with me back then. And I mean, hey, the same is true now. Um, so when I was touring, I figured out basically how to come home with money. And when I was working in the radio, uh, nobody else wanted to do it. So I got into a bit of selling advertising and stuff. And ultimately what happened is people started to – I started to figure out how to run festivals for money. I used to throw my own festivals. Mm. And ultimately what occurred is people started to ask me to help them back in the day of like MySpace bulletin boards and ICQ and AIM and shit like that. How do we get money, right? How do we make stuff work? 
And long story short, I was able to put myself through grad school and I got an MBA, Harvard Business Review from uh, a professional college um, that was aligning themselves with uh, military bases. It was basically a decades old re uh, relationship between Harvard and the United States military, basically had satellite locations all around the country. So if you were middle management as an officer and you needed a graduate degree, there was an opportunity. My parents both are military. My dad happened to be a professor of theoretical mathematics at that university. So I got kind of legacied in. And uh, through night school, I, put my, I, I got my MBA in marketing and business management. Uh, that built on my uh, bachelor's degree in music business management and my associate's degree in recording arts. So um, basically, I stayed in college because student loans were nice and I couldn't keep a job. And uh, that put me out into a space. And when I landed in L.A., I was working $10 an hour. I was five to six years older than everybody, but I had an MBA working a data entry job. And uh, I basically automated my entire workflow. Uh, there was 10 of us in the office. I was doing the work of 20 and I was and I watched all of wire at my all of the wire at my desk in about two and a half months. Which tells you about how much work I was putting in. And incredible uh, show, by the way. Absolutely excellent. Top tier. And, uh, Top tier. you know, uh, that uh, that agency went under. I stole some of their clients. The biggest client fired me because they put some money into Facebook ads. They were like, hey, man, no no harm, no foul. But I put 100 bucks in Facebook ads and did better than I'm paying you 2000 a month for on a grand organic growth hacking. And so I licked my wounds, ate like shit. And the next day I put my credit card into Facebook, started promoting my band. And with, uh, within a year and a half, a year or so, I was, uh, you know, seven-figure daily spends. That's crazy. What dirty cake still, or is it rebranded? What yeah, you, yeah, what dirty cakes back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. See, I know. Yeah, dirty I know. Cakes. Yeah. I yeah. Man. I, know. I did the research. There you go. We stopped you. We stopped you. That's cool, so man. I actually all of it had was, a yeah, just, experience. Yeah. Well, with the the having the credentials in a really not demeaning, but you know, I I had just graduated with my economics degree and. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and so I just moved back to Indy, and I went back to the job I had before college, which was selling women's shoes at Nordstrom's, like the fancy women's shoes. And man, you'll never see like entitlement until you <laughs> talk to some rich women that like, oh man, it was it was brutal. And then you'd have these really unique discussions of like, oh cool, what do you want to do with your life? Like, oh, what did you just do? Oh, I just graduated. Oh, that's cool. From what? Economics. And then you just get these weird looks of like, why are you selling women's shoes? And so it was uh, very, very similar in that vein of like you having an MBA and doing data entry. Like <laughs> that's a, it's a, you know, definitely a gut check. Um, I love that, man. Is Dirty yeah, Cake still I, around? You still jamming? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, uh, COVID put a kibosh on some oh, live yeah, shows, but you yeah, know, yeah, uh, yeah. rehearsals happen on a regular basis. Uh, music videos are out, records ready to release, and we can you know support it. And you're the X Men, right? Yeah, at least once a week, I'm in a yeah. loud room with giant fucking speakers playing guitar and a lot of fuzz. And what I lack in talent, I make up for in distortion and gumption. And you know, uh, we have a lot of fun. I love that. I love that. How did you get? How did you get into playing the guitar? Is is music in the family or? Yeah, yeah. My dad had my dad had a guitar in the house, and he played in a church band and some bands in college. And I stole his twelve string when I was eight. Um, and then I built a guitar in wood shop in ninth grade, and uh, I had the bug. It was just like I mean, literally, like I've got music. You know, like it's what I do. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's just in, in, in the blood forever. And I grew up with listening to surf and to folk and to like oldies where songwriting was really good and it was following some really simple yeah. basics and things. And um, I just absolutely fell in love with the art, man. And uh, if I could do one thing all day long, it's, it's get attention, get loud, make money. And uh, I mean, I feel like that's not a shock to anybody. Oh, definitely not me. Definitely not me. Um, I love that, man. So you're running your ads now for your band. What did you find? Was there any challenges there? Or was there some big learnings where you're like, oh, man, I can really like, th there, there's yeah. something here. Yeah, well, it was it was really interesting. And what that did is it opened the door to some other opportunities. Um, for instance, uh, a buddy of mine who's now a mentor was running an ad agency. And there was a show called The Pitch. They used to air alongside Mad Men, 
And it was a reality show where two ad agencies compete to be the AOR, the agency of record, for a big client. And uh, long story short, I'm on the very last episode. Basically, when they put me on the air, they canceled the show. And uh, it was 1-800-Flowers wanting to do social gifting. And the idea was that you had to spend $100,000, but you couldn't do print, radio, or search, or email. You had to spend all of it on Facebook to generate revenue, which Mm -hmm. at the time was a ludicrous idea. Um, Long story short, we won. And uh, by, by head and shoulders crushed everybody else. And uh, I really got to understand the opportunity at that time of promoting my band and then also running, you know, e-commerce and getting attention and really understanding at a core value that I still hold to this day that paid media is organic, that you are amplifying, right? If you, your business yeah. model has to work. Your foundation has to be successful. And the reason that you run ads is because you found something that works and you want to pour gas on that fire. And Uh, so that was at the very core of how I got to this. And I think that sadly, a vast majority of individuals don't come from that foundation um, because they got into Facebook when it was so easy. You could do everything wrong and still make money. And I see a lot of the students that I have in the Facebook Ads MBA program and a lot of people that I talk to on Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, everywhere I'm at, the, the Facebook group that's, you know, 12,000, 13,000 students. All, I would say 70, 80% of them come from paid works. And hopefully all you need to make a business work is good marketing. And yep. the reason that they're failing is because they don't understand the aspect of how organic works in the ecosystem. And even the function of the organic algorithm is the backbone of Facebook's OCPM environment. And I was in arguments with people on Twitter, even this week where they're absolutely right about like machine learning and about the learning phase. And like, why am I going to spend money? One of the big questions we got from somebody, it was that like, why am I going to spend, you know, money on, you know, if I have a bakery, why am I going to target somebody that doesn't all this stuff? And the point is, even at broad targeting, and also the reason why the doom and gloom around Facebook is absolute nonsense, is because, yeah, TikTok's shiny and it's fun and it's new and Amazon is great and Google's there and email and all that stuff. But the Facebook pixel is on 70, 80% of every website. The app it touches billions of people in the world. Yeah, they, they lost growth. Who cares? They already have market share. They're no longer in a growth period. They're in a maturity stage. But what that means is they have in-house a data warehouse of a decade or more on millions and millions of people understanding what content they've engaged with, what groups they're in, what words they've used, but also what websites they've been to, what stuff they've done on those websites. So like if you're selling dog food, you can go broad. And if your ad says, hey, are you a dog owner? You want some dog food? Somebody that owns a cat or a snake or hates pets um, is never going to see your ad because Facebook ultimately is an organic machine trying to keep somebody's attention. Right. So the 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 part of the equation that most performance first marketers fundamentally miss is that your ad functions as a business objective for Facebook to provide a greater user experience for the end user. And so where ads do the targeting and anybody that wants to say that's a hot take, please DM me. I'll gladly uh, help you understand it is that Facebook is trying to show the content to people that they want to see. And that's one reason why interest groups are terrible for you because what you're doing is you're forcing a bad experience on people and it costs you extra you have to pay a premium to force a bad experience which is why your cpms are 30 40 50 like if your cpms are over 20 or you're using abo or interest groups what that tells me more than anything is you don't know how to creative test properly abroad and that's a big gap that most people have because they're not coming from the idea that content is meant to give somebody an enjoyable experience And if you don't give a damn about the customer and you don't appreciate the value of your relationship with your business partner, you are going to struggle at business or any relationship. If my wife came to me and said, this is what she wants me to look like and this is the way she wants me to behave and these are the things she needs from me, and my response was to give her the middle finger and try to make money, it's not going to last. And there's absolutely no reason that Facebook is any different or Instagram or YouTube or Pinterest or TikTok or any OCPM platform. And, And Pinterest is a gray area between CRM and search and and optimize CPM, but ultimately Facebook did that better than everybody else. Their market share is indomitable. And if TikTok crushes for the next three to five years, 
they would need one to get adoption from 75 to 80% of everybody in, in America, plus there's tons of countries that ban it outright. They would need their pixel placed on 75 to 80% of websites. And at that point, they are going to have a data disadvantage on volume and integrity and context of what Facebook already has today. So when people are bearish on Facebook, my reaction to them is that you have to understand you've been spoiled up to this point. And mm -hmm. yes, there's plenty of opportunities for arbitrage in other places, but if you're trying to grow a business, if you're trying to get awareness, there's a hundred dollar a day play and there's a million dollars a year play. And especially if you want business growth, especially if you want to exit your business, especially if you want investors, what you don't want is three months of amazing growth that you can't replicate. What you want is a consistent path that you can show is you, I can sell this to you. I can leave and the infrastructure exists. If your entire business is predicated on getting lucky and taking lottery picks, you might be wildly successful, but if you can't sustain that success, it's completely meaningless to anybody other than you. And your exit strategy is basically you give up after you end up working too hard and investing more and more resources chasing the next win. Um, and, and I know that just because I've taken plenty of brands to market, and investment bankers and public. And I think that that's at a core misunderstanding that a lot of people have. And I was lucky enough to be an organic growth hacker in the very beginning literally trying to hack the HTML code of MySpace bulletin board posts to get more people to show up to an open mic night. Like, that's where it started. And there's absolutely no difference between that and running a $100 a day, $10,000 a day, or $50,000 a day e-commerce brand. Um, it's the exact same principle. It's just a matter of scale of the application. And... Um, yeah, so that's a long-winded story of how I got there. I don't even remember the question, but that's, I think, what the biggest message I really see all the time with people and what I, the advantage that I had, and that I was lucky enough to be the guy that could be the organic growth hacker, got a job as a supervisor at an international conglomerate ad agency because I was on television. I had proven that I was the best on that show, and... Nobody else wanted to do Facebook because it was the ugly stepchild because Facebook was a crazy idea. It was the weird thing that nobody wanted to mess with. Um, and so I got all the Facebook contracts. And because I went to, you know, I, I got a legit MBA in marketing and business management, I could run really high quality case studies. And because when Facebook would come trying to sell their wares and influence people to like, hey, maybe you should start advertising on Facebook because we think it's going to be big. I was the only person they ever talked to, which means I got millions and millions of dollars of case studies and I got to develop the product with the engineering and the product team and the measurement team. A lot of the folks that are in leadership positions now, I met when they were, you know, month one into the business. So I was at a very core element of just being in the right place, the right time, the right opportunity, the right preparation in a space where everybody knew that they needed somebody, but nobody wanted to do the work. And I was just stoked that somebody gave me like health insurance because I just used to be in a junkie musician, like begging my parents for money so I could buy cigarettes and food today. So like I was very lucky and I just opportunity and preparation met in a time where nobody else was doing stuff. And so I was lucky to be at the point of being you know the tip of the spear on stuff like lead gen ads i i literally did the case study to prove it or dpa same thing there canvas which failed miserably but whatever and, and to the point oh, when yeah. facebook released when, when facebook you know was starting to talk about tower five and cbo and creative testing and advanced matching um i had seven or eight figures of facebook coupons to teach them what to do and ultimately the disruptor group are the people that teach the reps what to teach others. So by the time agencies and gurus are teaching lessons, what it means is it's their version of interpreting what a rep taught them six months, a year or two before. And that rep is teaching them something that a disruptor figured out six months to a year or two before that. So a lot of the folks that are complaining about the future of the platform are at best two to three years behind what they should be doing. And the, uh, the gap between best practice and practical application is so vast that literally Facebook could stop investing in any innovation. And you would have three to five years of runway of continuous improvement. So I'm super bullish 
on on the future of of all of it and i've kind of staked my claim on it for sure and uh i mean it, it it's it's the same type of conversation of saying in 2001 nobody can innovate in email anymore so it's stupid or in 2008 people are like look there's just no way to innovate or create new change inside of google anymore and the engineers are frustrated because they can't get anything else off the ground and the seniority is just trying to push things but you already have a ferrari in the garage just because you're trying to build a spaceship doesn't mean the ferrari isn't better than somebody else's you know 89 honda civic much love to the 89 honda civic but the ferrari's gonna crush it right and so yeah like i said i don't even remember the question but that's that's the answer to it <laughs> that is Charlie in a nutshell. I don't remember the question, but that's the answer to it. So there's a lot to unpack there. I love it. So to be fair, the market does not agree with you. Facebook took yeah. an absolute haircut, like a really, I think, plus 20 something. So you're buying the dip? BTC? Oh, I have, I have FANG. I, I have FNG, DTFD? triple index. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I don't care. You're, you're in there. So a little, a couple of counterpoints there. So one, to kind of keep people up to speed, when Charlie's talking about OCPM, he means optimized CPM. So um, I don't actually not familiar with the other auctions, but Facebook uses something called a Clark Vickery Groves auction. And ultimately, it's just a fancy way of saying that you actually care about the community or you can have some other outlier, this outlier being the community. Uh, the community is basically analogous to the newsfeed. And so just because you have a bunch of money doesn't mean you can ruin this newsfeed. And so mm -hmm. that's why the you have those bear bids, right? Where you have your bid, your estimated actual rate, and then your internal and external ratings. And that's actually how you're getting into things, or that's how you're winning impressions in the auction. It's not just based on a proper, how much money do you have? So yeah. that's why when people say, oh, Facebook can just turn up ad rates or they can't. The only way Facebook can make more money is offer more inventory or people bid more aggressively in the auctions. Facebook does not have some lever that says, hey, let's turn CPMs up. Like that's just not the fundamentals of it. Again, if you want to get nerdy and go look at the economics, it's actually uh, really interesting. There's actually academic research that wasn't used for anything. And then Zuckerberg found it or his team found it and then implemented it. Anyways, I'm in the weeds now, but just kind of keep people up there because some people might not know what optimized CPM means where uh, ultimately, sure. and this is totally different, right? Than if you're buying a TV ad or something like that, where you're basically getting a rate sheet and we're going to say, we're going to give you X amount standard across X. There's no competition. There's no dy dynamicism. You're going to pay X amount of impressions. Your CPM is here and you're going to get this, this many impressions and then you're going to pay at that rate. And so that, that just kind of tidying that up. Yeah, love, absolutely. Love, and, 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 and email, television, programmatic, display, native, those are all what we call inventory-based systems. And Pinterest and Google and Bing are all demand-based systems. Yep. And what Facebook brings to the table, what the optimized CPM environment brings to the table is a qualitative metric on the cost of that inventory and the delivery of those impressions. So if you provide a good service to Facebook's bottom line, you are going to get preferential treatment in cost and delivery, which ultimately spikes your overall impression rate, which is why CTR is completely irrelevant. And I want a low one because that means I reach way more people. Um, and my CPC is irrelevant because it's a metric of an output of four other things that's not actionable. And why even CPM is just a canary in the coal mine of saying how good are you as an advertiser. And the honest truth is if you're paying over $20, $30 CPMs, there's a dramatic improvement you can make on your business just by testing better or by getting rid of high-cost inventory that is hurting you on the bottom line or just improve your customer service. Um, what happens after the click is fundamental to your cost of advertising on the platform. I totally agree with you there. And I would say that, uh, so I'm not a huge CPM maxi. I'm more of in the middle where I think CPMs are useful, but they're kind of second, third, fourth order fire alarms for me. Like you, I'm not looking yeah. at these things at the first thing that's going wrong. But to your point, you can see some things. However, if I asked you, Charlie, the media buyer, I, I, would you rather have high CPMs and a bunch of conversions or would you rather have low CPMs and no conversions? So this is where I get caught up when people use CPMs sure. as like a first order indicator. It's like, who cares? If you're in the best party with the millionaires, 
Yeah, I don't mind paying double the CPM. These people are buying, and every time they're buying, they're buying 2x the AOV than these scrubs and these cheap CPMs are. And so, again, I think CPMs are important, but they're, they're second, third, fourth order kind of. You're, they're not in the hierarchy. Like, you, you need to understand, like, if you're in the cool kids club, stay in there. Yeah, pay to be in there. Yeah. That's the whole point. Like, you want to be around the rich people that, and if it costs you more, that's fine. Because guess what? Do you want to be in a room with a bunch of poor people? And, you know, I, I don't mean to sound condescending. I'm, I'm probably using a bad analogy. No, but, here, no, but, but you, at, you, at, you, at you, a high AOV product, you're making the point. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, I think. I will tell people, and I'll die on this hill, the only two metrics that matter, honestly, there's only one metric that matters, but I'll give a qualification for second best, is spend. After yep. spend, it is volume of conversions. But yep. let me make three really clear statements. Number one, reporting is never going to be accurate. Number two, attribution is a complete nonsense lie built by digital marketing platforms to convince ad agencies to spend more money that they then taught marketers, and that was a generation ago, and people just still haven't been able to see through it. And number three, incremental lift is the only thing that matters. If you can't measure, if you can't answer this question, if I spend more money here, does that generate a higher profit? And which investment is of the highest quality for me that is most sustainable and the highest value asset for my business objective? If you can't answer that question, then you're dead in the water. And, yeah. you know, that is what the ecosystem ROAS doc that I built back in 2018 answers in a simple Excel spreadsheet because... I had a boss that was spending $100 million on television. Her attribution model was five minutes after the infomercial aired. Like, there's no pixel. But she was able to run a billion-dollar business doing that. And, and, and she left that and, and came to what we were doing. And like, I had to go in there a million times trying to prove the value of all of this stuff. And when I couldn't answer those questions, I realized I was trying to give a nickel answer in a million-dollar question. And so many people with the CPM, CTR, CPC, ROAS, all of these things, you are still so focused in the box that you can't see the forest for the trees. And the sooner you start looking at incremental lift across your entire ecosystem, the sooner you stop giving a damn about everything that people are worried about. Because you ultimately say, how do I make myself the best business partner to my vendor and how do I maximize the opportunity? And if I'm maximizing the opportunity, I'm getting better every week, every month. Does that ultimately benefit my business? If the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, awesome. We got an action plan. And really it comes down to maybe you have three yeses. Well, which one causes the most lift if you have a limited budget? Or if you have an unlimited budget, what's the correlation between them? And if you can't answer those questions, if you're not looking at your media buying in that way, then you're going to be really struggling. And the answer to all of those questions, none of those answers are ABO or creative type or bidding model. Those have nothing to do with it. Those are distractions of really shiny objects that ultimately prevent you from solving the $10 million problem because you're trying to figure out the $1,000 issue in front of your face. And... If you go down the road of trying to solve for all those problems, yes, you're going to get somewhere. You can work harder and by force of will make things happen. Maybe you can get from 1 million to 5. Maybe you can get to 10. But you're never going to get to 100 because you can't work 10 times, 20 times harder. And ultimately, the more of these moves that you make predicated on the idea of disrespecting your customer and your business partner, the harder it is to even maintain that six months from now, a year from now. And the majority of folks that I see struggle are, I will say this, I don't see people that have figured out creative testing it broad, auto placement, auto bid, with dynamic ads and a CBO. I don't see those same people also saying that they're worried about the future. And the people that I do see constantly raising red flags and liking other people's tweets and championing other people's insecurities, they're all the ones that also aggressively avoid adopting what Facebook's been asking them to do since 2018. And again, it's a relationship. And if somebody tells you what they need from you in that relationship and your response is give them the finger, don't be upset when that relationship goes poorly. You can go out and try to find three other people to take advantage of, but eventually you're going to run out of room. And there's a big difference between trying to spend $1,000 a day at a profit and trying to build a $100 million business. And 
I'm in the business of giving people the knowledge, the awareness, and the expertise to make that shift. And I always tell people, like, if you're a media buyer, your job isn't to spend that 500 a day, that 10,000 a day at a profit. That is not your job. Your job is to figure out if my spend is a thousand bucks, why can't it be three? What is wrong in the business that prevents me from tripling my acquisition budget? If you can solve those problems, you are now a director of growth, which is what every Facebook media buyer could be in a flip of a switch. Because ultimately, that is how you grow businesses. That's how you grow brands. That's how you go to an investment banker and you say, my business is worth $100 million. And for what it's worth, most folks that run ad agencies that came into the game 2017, 2018, they've never had that conversation. I can't blame those people for not understanding that because it's like trying to explain snow to somebody that's never seen it. Like, yeah, white shit falls from the sky and it's cold. Or explaining the ocean to somebody that's never left Nebraska. Like, yeah, that piece of water, it goes so far that it's flat at the end. I, I think maybe a, be, a better analogy might be uh, explaining water to a fish. Sure. Where yeah. you're, so, you're so ensconced in it, it's impossible to get your head around, like to step out of this, this mindset. Um, but, oh my gosh, we're already into the value add segment. You skipped, you skipped over so many things. Of course, a Charlie T podcast is not going to be structured like normal. We're going crazy I'm here. Sorry, folks. Man. It's, I'm passionate. I'm in love with this stuff. I, I just want people to see more success and less stress because 90% of people are doing things wrong because they were poorly trained by somebody else who didn't know what they were doing. So I'm here to help. Well, I think, too, touching back on kind of your organic talks and me and Cody and Ash have been talking about that, too. And kind of like a little in interesting metal model I was thinking of was um, like these organic, these communities, like they become foundational layers that you can mm -hmm. then build skyscrapers on with your paid media. But Absolutely. what happened, in my opinion, to your point, there was just such a big bull market. People were building sand, uh, excuse me, skyscrapers on sand. Mm hmm. And then once that earthquake hit, their whole building fell down because they didn't have the foundational elements of actually like I think ultimately too what happened, there was just such a the the, the new seed was just such a Cambrian explosion and ad inventory it was just like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible that people kind of swung too far into the quantitative element of it. And you mm -hmm. just started mm -hmm. having these quants that are just going in numbers. And at the end of the day, man, these are there's people behind these numbers. And like, are you making a connection? Are you generating value for them? Are you giving them a story that they can tell their wife or their husband or whoever, their significant other, their friends, why they're so smart because they bought your product? Like, it, it, it kind of sounds silly, but there's just a bit of going back to the fundamentals of like, you know, would you want your product? Would you use your product? Would you tell your mom or your sister? Would you recommend it to your best friend? Like, and if the answer is there or no, you know, maybe that is probably a good place to start versus... ABO or CBO. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and again, this no, is just I, my I, points I of view, but like understand those fundamentals and then those fundamentals can scale. And then to your point, like this is actually a, a John Coyle quote, but it's kind of same, same, but different as you, where it's like uh, paid media is fuel. It's not the fire. And, and yeah. so like no. until you have that fire, unless you're, you're just going to pour gasoline on a match. It doesn't matter. I know. Right. It's perfect. It just ties yeah. in perfectly. But anyways, I, I, I think that that's really, um, a lot of the challenges is that there were things that worked, but it's not that they worked because the strategies were sound or the tactics were robust. It was because you're in a massive bull market. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, if you, you were doing any semblance of anything, like you were going to do well. And if, uh, furthermore, you know, if you're charismatic and you had a great story, you're going to, you were going to be able to, you know, convince people to come along for the ride and you know, no, no judgment there. It's just, that was what I saw was when people got really far away from the basics and it's almost kind of the same view I have a little bit of biohacking where it's like, yeah, dude, what's the point? Like sleep, get your exercise in, meditate or find some sort of mindfulness practice. Like there's all these things versus like, well, I should eat bull balls at 2 a.m. and then I'll drink Ram's piss sure. at 1 a.m. And you're just like, I mean, maybe, maybe, but maybe if you kind of just get these fundamentals in place first and these first principles and you understand that then you can really kind of start to get those other, you know, maybe one, two, three percentage point gains. But it, it feels a lot like sometimes people are spending dollars to save pennies. And I'm, that's just yeah. not, not my jam.
No, I love it. And, and, and I'll back that up with something. There's an old <clears throat> Yiddish saying that is where it ends, where it begins, so it ends. And if you take out the last five years of Facebook media buying, right? Mm-hmm. We're still in a spot where ultimately, can you be on the street corner and sell this product? Can you go door to door and sell this service? Will people be happy because of it? Because running Facebook ads or any paid media is a way of scaling that effort, right? Like if you can't go door to door and sell your product, don't be astonished when you can't trick a bunch of people on the internet to buy it. And really it's 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 an escalation of the door to door salesman hires multiple salespeople eventually leverages his exposure or her exposure by getting an ad in the newspaper or by making flyers and eventually leverages that exposure by getting on the radio or getting onto television. But you can only afford that because your business is successful and because you can scale with it. And all we have here, Facebook is basically just television as performance media, but there's no difference. Like if your product isn't good enough, or your service isn't good enough to get people to want to use it, then you're dead already. And the opportunity of the arbitrage of attention and, you know, Gary Vee's underpriced attention and all this stuff, that opportunity, look, there are other platforms you can go for that. But again, what you're talking about is, can I get a short hack to follow things up? But the business is built on the back of short hacks where you had really good marketers that could sell fish oil, ultimately die. That snake oil salesman in the West got murdered every time, right? And look at Casper. I think that's a great example of we've seen so many brands come and go. And, you know, I think there's a few brands right now that are built on hype that I'm, I'm legitimately don't know if I'm terribly bullish on their future. And maybe I haven't gotten investment in one end of that or the other, but I, I see, I opened this chat with the liquid death thing, right? And maybe you got my preview screen on the liquid death use. Who knows? Uh, but liquid death is building on the back of, they've got a product that people buy that is fundamentally not differentiated in the marketplace. But there's an ownership Zero of a brand percent. identity. Yep. Right? There is, it's LaCroix without flavor. Got it. It's the most boring flavor of LaCroix. And you have diehards. You know, you look at Last Crumb, right? It's supreme for cookies and costs as much as a pair of Yeezys. And you're stoked. And, and the point is, those brands, I think, will have a much better opportunity of using paid media three years from now than brands that I think are built more off of hype that I don't see as much backbone behind them. And again, I don't know, I don't know their future, but... You know, I think, you know, not to call too many people out, but like, for instance, Athletic Greens, super huge, massive business. Everybody's stoked about it. But I feel like they grew too far, too fast on the back of too many unsustainable things to maintain that growth. And if you can't maintain that growth, ultimately what it is, is can you get to a precipice where you can suppress all other competition and gain a market share that makes you have an unfair advantage in the space. And I don't see that proprietary advantage. You know, if I was Mr. Wonderful at Shark Tank, I'd say, hey, you got a great business going there, but I can't pour fuel on this fire. And for that reason, I'm out. I don't know if that's the backbone of it, and I might be dead wrong, and I'd love to talk with people because they're clearly doing very great work. Um, but I think that there are... Businesses that are built to be evergreen. I think there are businesses that are built with an exit plan as the strategy of the development of the business. And then I think there are 95% of people out there just trying to spend money to make money today that aren't looking more than a month or a year out and have no concept of these things. And I just say that because I agree with you, that Cambrian explosion just change the world so that so many people don't understand that that's not what it is, right? Like Game of Thrones, winter is coming, right? Like we are here. Can you beat the Ice King? And the honest truth is 90% of people can't. Yeah. So 
I think our responsibility as marketers that have been through this and appreciate it is to provide the education and the tools and the knowledge and the support to help those good people not lose the opportunity of achieving their dreams. And that's yeah. one reason why I so aggressively go after people that co-sign other folks' victimhood. Because the only reason you're not succeeding right now is because you haven't failed enough or because you're willing to say, I can't. And if those are your mentalities, you should go get a day job right now because you are going to fail at entrepreneurism. It's just not for you. You have to get kicked in the teeth every single day and come back and ask for more. Like, if you don't have that mentality, if you're not a street fighter willing to lose, if you're not David Spade willing to get his butt kicked every single time, if you're not Joe Dirt, you're going to lose. And I think that's what separates folks like Ash and Cody and, and, and you and I from a lot of the other folks that are agency-driven that don't understand the back-end unit economics of business development. And so... I, I love what you had to say, and I know that was a very long uh, little support of your opinion, but hey, look, you know, I, if I don't talk on soliloquy, I, don't, I have a hard time even opening my mouth. It's a two-minute minimum for Charlie. If you get him going, he's going. Uh, okay, <laughs> we, are we are pushing up against it, so that we just kind of smashed the, the first and second segments together, too. So now let's go, da, 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 da. let's go real quickly through the rapid fire, um, and then I'll toss it over to you. You can plug whatever you want, and then we'll wrap up the podcast. How's that sound, Charlie? Sounds good to me, man. I'm here, and thank you once uh, again. As right. always, it's beautiful to talk with you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, you ready okay. for the rapid fire? Let's go. All right. Mosh pits, overrated, underrated? Love them. Uh, so, uh, underrated. Underrated. Love it. Twitter, overrated, underrated? Underrated. Living in LA, overrated, underrated? Underrated. Whoa, three underrated in a row. Uh, I know that yeah, one's man. coming. Steelers, overrated, underrated? Uh, underrated, always, buddy. <laughs> Had a tough one this year. Had a tough one. You, you, guys, you guys have a... Uh, embarrassment of riches of late. So there, yeah, we have a, we have an embarrassment of riches, and we've never had a losing season under our current coach. Yeah. And hey, look, if the if our worst year is the majority of the leagues, if if the worst we do is what the D Dallas Cowboys would love to have half of the time, we're doing all right. And that's not shade at you. I'm just putting perspective because I know where your loyalties lie. It's brutal. It's brutal. And, and, hey, look, it's brutal. If we have three, eight, and eight years in 15, and, and it means I have to eat one or two right now, I might not even see that. You have, so underrated. You, have like, you can't even hear. You have so many titles stuffed in your ears from the last seven years. It's like, yeah, yeah. Although I will, I will champion. say this. You need a demigod of a human being to compare against Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and Josh Allen. Like if you don't have somebody literally – Blessed by virgins as the offspring of like a god having you know sex with a human they're being. Like good. if you don't have a Herculean backstory, you're dead. Yeah, they're very good. They're all they're all three top notch. I think I've I've lost the Lamar bet. I think Josh Allen's gonna he's gonna really uh, mature into something yeah. special. Or I mean, almost already has. He got got. <laughs> you just ran up against somebody greater. Yeah, somebody actually. Uh, I'll go to the next one. But somebody had a really funny tweet where it's kind of like a Patrick Ewing, Michael Jordan. Like Patrick Ewing was so good. He just bumped up against somebody better during his lifetime. And it just sucks. Man. Yeah. It just sucks. Yeah, and never never got a title. Oh. I know. Brutal. That's what I'm trying to say. He was fantastic. Brutal. He was a very good player. Uh TikTok, overrated, underrated. Um oh, I will say it's underrated, but I think the bullishness on it is overrated. But as a he platform, it does not have the adoption it should. Favorite city in California. LA. Oh, favorite meal and why? Oh, dead animals with cheese and some kind of grain in any form you want to give it to me. <laughs> favorite newsletter. Ooh, um, that's a good question. I do like the whale mail, although sometimes I disagree Yay. with it, but I think it's really, really good to see what people have to say. It's a good temperature read. Like for instance, this last one that came out, uh, I will say I, I, I disagree at a fundamental level with the vast majority of the premise and the take by somebody that has me blocked on Twitter, so I can't even engage with them. Um, but I do like it. I, I would say that 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 is one of my favorites, what you guys have going and what Alex has going, because Alex it is 
it is not discipline specific. And I think that that helps people see the forest for the trees. Yeah, I like that. Favorite place travel to and why? Um, favorite place travel to and why? I think my favorite trip that I've taken over the last few years was my wife and I went to Amsterdam three years ago in the winter. We were there to go see the Buzzcocks and uh, the lead singer died eight days beforehand. And so we still went and we were in Amsterdam and uh, went to go find, went walking through the city, got lost in the city and it started snowing because it was like three days after Christmas. And when you are lost in a European city that old and beautiful with snow coming down at midnight, how can you hate on that? That's a just, it's a beautiful thing. Magical, magical. Okay, last two. Favorite follow on Twitter? Favorite follow on Twitter? Oh, I mean, can, can I put me down? Um, no, <laughs> you uh, can't follow yourself. <laughs> what uh, a Charlie answer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, look, if, if, you're make, if you're a band, you should, be, you should be a fan of your own music. If you're a writer, you should like your own books. If you're a filmmaker, you should be a fan of your own movies. If you're running a business, your no, business should be your favorite thing or it's someplace to go. But without that... Favorite way, follow it, on it, Twitter it, that's not you. There you go. I have a amended the question to, take to it. not take give it. you any wiggle room. Got it. I love that. Uh, I'm going to go completely not industry specific at all. Love it. Love it. And say my favorite follow is probably Pat Mayo. Um, okay what's the handle there? sports betting sports betting guy has a great youtube show i've emotionally invested myself into hundreds and hundreds of hours of his uh youtube and uh, i now know all the players i know all the people in his circle of friends and when i see content from them when i see content from him it harkens back to so many fond memories over so many years and so many positive experiences that it literally just makes me happy. And he goes ahead and likes some of my sports bets half the time. And uh, he got to see me turn, you know, uh, 30 bucks and a couple of 20 to one bets into a s- extremely nice number that I lost all on Chiefs. But at least he was there for it all. And, and that, that, that was a beautiful thing. You know, it's one of those things. If you create enough content out in the world and you put stuff out and you're very personable, people feel like they're your friend even though they've never met you. And he does that better than almost anybody else in the world. Love it. Okay, last question. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, it's a four-person table. You're there with three other people. They can be fictional, non-fictional. Who would they be? Oh, man. Three people, dead or alive. That's a good question. So let me answer it quick. Uh, One of the people I'd love to have at that table, um, let's see. I would love to be at a table. I think my, uh, I would love to be at the table with, with Mark Cuban. I think he's really smart. Mm-hmm. And I think we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. I, you alum. I, I tend he to went agree to my with him a lot of things. Um, and then, uh, if I had to give somebody else in that room, just to keep things interesting, I I'd love to be at a table with Robin Williams. I think, yeah. I don't know if he turns it on or off ever. But I think he's truly brilliant, or was, and yeah, and I would true. absolutely love to be in the presence of somebody like that for even five minutes. And um, also, I think something that would be really interesting for me to get into, kind of going way more old school, would be I, I I'd love to to sit at the table with some of these world conquerors, you know, like the Genghis yeah. Khans and the Alexander the yep. Greats of the world. I, yep. I, I would say probably Sun Tzu, just because I think yep. The Art of War is probably the best business book ever created. And to understand where somebody came from to write all of that stuff and their learnings and their history and what's going on, I think would be so fascinating because all of these folks are experiences and storytellers. And I'm going to yep. surround myself, not people I want to have a beer with, but people who I just want to experience their presence and I don't know. Maybe he's a really boring guy in person, but I sure love his writing. Love it. All right, Chuck T, you made it through. Rapid fire. Congratulations, my man. All right. All right. Plug whatever you need to plug. Tell people how to follow you, and then we'll wrap it up. Absolutely. So uh, first off, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm back. Uh, but yeah, so to plug stuff, um, one, follow me on all the socials. Two, uh, Facebook Ads MBA program is my core offering right now, and basically I teach people – 
through the art of learning Facebook, how to be business development folks, how to project manage the way to things, basically how to scale businesses, make exit strategies, and be a CMO or CEO um, by covering disciplines from testing to measurement to planning to organizational structures, documentation, project management, accountability, and transparency. And I legitimately don't think anybody – I have not seen a competitive offer in the marketplace, so I highly recommend people check that out. And uh, you can go to apply.facebookdisruptor.com to see my latest masterclass on half the things you learn in there. Plus, you get a couple of freebies, so go for that. And ultimately, um, if you are willing to be uncomfortable and have your assumptions challenged by empirical data with somebody willing to have a conversation with you, I would say go ahead and follow me. Um, I would love to have those conversations. And that is what I really try to surround myself with. I want to be uncomfortable. I want to grow. And I find that my number one objective is I have reached a place where it is more fruitful for me to spend my time sharing my knowledge and helping people succeed than to try to succeed myself. Because I'll be honest, I've made it. I'm good. And I get to put my head on the pillow every night feeling good about myself, doing esteemable acts so that I can be full of self-esteem because my days are spent helping people achieve their dreams and every day I get to see people be successful and every day I get to see the light bulb go and every day when the world is full of folks that say that you've lost hope or there's nothing there, I can be a light in that and that that makes me feel so good and that's a fundamentally different place than I was 10 years ago and I'll finish with that. 10 years ago, Beautiful. I was a junkie on the edge of death struggling to make money and pay my rent. Today, I get to make people's dreams come true. And the only difference between me and anybody else is I had the experience and the time willing to do it, and anybody else can start their life over right now. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. Just be willing to say yes and figure it out. And that's the best advice I could give anybody. So, Raba, I appreciate it, man. I don't have a signature sign-off, so I'll let you take it. But thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Charlie. It's always been a pleasure. Hey, you can find us if you want to get more involved in Triple Well at trytriplewell.com. We actually just upgraded our Twitter. We're at Triple Well now. We, we, we cut the, the try off. It's cleaner that way. You know what I'm saying? little shout out social network. Um, and then we also have, as Charlie said, a really, really great uh, whale mail publication that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday. Tuesday's a, a fancy essay. And then Thursday is kind of a morning boo wrap up. Chuck T, you're the man. Go sign up for Charlie's program. We'll see everybody else on the flip. Thanks so much for the time, Charlie. Enjoy Europe. Have a safe trip, and then uh, we'll see you when you get back. All right. We'll Sounds talk to you soon, man. everybody. That's 19 in the books. Bah, 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 bah. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.